Hello, everyone. Welcome back as I bring you episode four of the Leverett Ball Show. As always, the Leverett Ball Show can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And today, my guest is none other than Oliver Lamb Watson. Um, and for anyone who follows fencing, you may have already heard of him. But for anyone who is not familiar with Oliver, he is actually a wheelchair fencer on Team Great Britain. Um, and he's currently hoping to qualify for the 2021 Paralympic Games in Tokyo. And he already has a pretty impressive resume as a fencer. Um, he won a bronze medal in fencing in the uh, World Cup. And then in the World Championships, he won a silver medal. Um, in addition to everything he does as a fencer, Oliver is also a disability advocate um, and does both public speaking events and YouTube content. So Oliver, clearly you have a more impressive resume than I do, but welcome. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. No question. If we were going through, you know, my titles, we'd say like, you know, got hired as a dog walker when he was 16, does a podcast, goes on TV occasionally, doesn't really have many friends, but you have an impressive resume. So welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because obviously telling the guests, we, we actually used to go to school together. So yes. interesting. Yeah, we got it back in touch recently. So seeing where we've uh, come from kind of very humble beginnings is pretty cool. No question. Well, and when you say we went to school together, you know, we weren't frat boys together crushing beers in the college dorms. We went to elementary school together. I believe we were eight years old at the time. Yeah. 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 So, a long time ago. It's been a little while. And also, so obviously you're on Team Great Britain. You currently live in London. Um, yes. I live here in Worcester, Massachusetts um, in the United States. And, um, you know, my family, actually, people might not know this. My family traveled a lot when I was a child. So um, we lived in England for a little bit. We lived in Japan. We lived a couple other places. And then when I was 10, my family um, settled down full time in the United States. And most of the guests I've had have been from the U.S. So people might be wondering, how do I know someone in England? Well, I lived in England as a boy. Um so that's obviously how Oliver and I met. And, you know, since then, he's become, like I said, a big-time fencer, so I'm glad he hasn't forgotten about me. Um, <laughs> but first of all, um, you know, I know I introed your title, but as far as your backstory, um, sure. you, know, I, you know, I know you've been very open uh, about um, your, the challenges that come with having a physical handicap. Um, how long ha has that been a challenge for you? And then also, when did you first get into fencing? Good question. I think they kind of tie into themselves. Um, and so I guess I was born with a disability, just to kind of give the kind of real background to it. It affected my left leg. And growing up, I always had a lot of pain. I didn't sleep very well. My leg was very swollen. But it only really started affecting me properly when I was about the age of nine, uh, ten-ish. And that's when I started to actually go on crutches. Um, and I've actually been on forearm crutches ever since. Um, and as a kid, I, I never liked sport. I always hated sport. It was something that always really highlighted my difference and made, you know, it showed me that I couldn't run fast like other kids. Like I wasn't as strong. I wasn't as, you know, I, I didn't have as much prowess on the football pitch as some of the other kids. Um, and so 
it was always for me something that I, I really wanted to stray away from. I'd always get like the lunch note, uh, the doctor's note away from sports if I could. Um, but it was only actually around the age of 18 after I'd gone to uni and I had done my whole degree um, after that, about the age of 21, after I finished my degree, that I went back to my doctors and I said, hey, you know, what, what am I going to do with my leg? And so it basically came down to a decision as to whether or not I wanted to amputate it or just live with it. And making the decision to amputate was a really weird one for me because a lot of people who have to go through amputations, they, you know, it's not a decision that they make necessarily. It's usually a, a necessity. They have to have it done because of an accident. But to make that decision was a really strange one for me to, to almost uh, consciously part ways with 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 a limb of yours and actually think about you know cutting a leg off which it's it's a really strange one that a lot of people would never have to deal with and, and I didn't actually have anyone to speak to at the time and it was a really strange one but eventually I made the decision to, to amputate it when I was actually then met with another doctor who said look this is going to be really really risky because of your leg problem because I have a vascular problem so it would mean a lot a lot of bleeding so that said, I then said, you know what, look, I don't live that bad a life at the moment. I'm going to stick with my crutches. I'm going to stick with my leg and I'll live with it for the rest of my life. And the doctor said something that day was, which stuck with me for like a really long time. And it's still in my head. And he, he, he said, look, it doesn't matter whether you get it amputated or not. You're still never going to run properly again. And you'll probably never be an athlete. So it doesn't matter either way. And obviously prior to this, I had no plans on being an athlete ever. But I then essentially thought, hey, look, if I'm going to be on crutches for the rest of my life, let me see what, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I want to get the most out of my life. I want to see what I'm capable of. But I didn't know what that meant for me. You know, being on crutches, I, I, I didn't know anyone else who was disabled or had a disability. So I thought, you know, what? can I go to the gym? Yeah. So I went to the gym. I thought, yeah, you know, what? I can train. Can I, can I run? Started doing that. Then I, I signed up to a bunch of these uh, obstacle course races, you know, these um, Spartan races. I think you have them in the US as well. Um, and I thought, you know, 15 kilometer Spartan race. Can I do that on my crutches? Can I walk through water? Can I climb a rope? Can I jump through, you know, a forest? Whatever it might be on my crutches, I don't know. And, and for me, that was a real self-exploratory moment, actually signing up for that race and completing it. Because I didn't know what was, you know, I, was, I felt like I was kind of paving, paving the way for myself into this like kind of really fitness orientated uh, lifestyle, which I'd never really done growing up with a disability. And then, so long story short, fast forward a couple of years, uh, well, actually only about six months, I, I went to a doctor's cause I was, I wanted to do a lot of this like content to do with disability, inspiration, breaking down barriers and showing people that look, I can run races on my crutches. So I went to this doctor and there's uh, a sports doctor about my, to, to get my heart checked out essentially. And, um, he said, what sport do you do? And I said, look, I, I, I do these races on my crutches. I was really proud of myself. And he was like, that's not really a sport, is it? You're just running on crutches, which really annoyed me. And so I, I basically then Googled Paralympic sports. I found wheelchair fencing because I thought it'd be awesome. And I called up a club. I called up every single club in London. I found one eventually that will, would take me. And I basically started training full time I said I'm gonna give myself a gap year after university I'm gonna train it full time I'm gonna see what I'm capable of you know I knew I wanted to do something that was really intense like I, I didn't want to just do a sport at the weekend for fun I wanted to dedicate myself to it and then six months later I was selected for my national team wow 
<laughs> I mean, that's that's an incredible story. And a couple of things that, you know, a couple of reactions right away. First of all, you mentioned, you know, when you were nine was when you really started to struggle with your leg. And, you know, obviously you were born with the disability, like you said, but when you were nine was um, when you moved over to crutches. And we, we met each other when we were eight. And I remember when we went to school together, you were you were not on crutches. So I guess it was, I guess, right after you know, I left your school and went back to yeah. the U.S. That was around the time um, when you started with the crutches. Um, so I, um, but, but the interesting thing though is that, you know, when your condition got worse and you moved to crutches, a lot of people think of, you know, it, if you have some type of handicap or it gets worse or you have to adjust your lifestyle, that you're not able to do as much. But you actually didn't become an athlete until after you moved to crutches. So that's what's so cool about your message and so inspirational is that you didn't become an athlete, like I said, until after your condition got worse. And now you may qualify for the Paralympics in Tokyo. I mean, (laughs) that's fucking awesome. Um, And, you know, I mean, I think if we just clip off that one part of the interview and send that to any type of kid who, is struggling with a disability. I think that's so important to, to hear. Like, not only did you maintain the level you were at physically, you actually became more and you became a Paralympian. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's powerful stuff. Um, Thanks. No question. And, and you know, what has, what has life been like, um, you know, since you became more of an athlete? Cause, cause like you said, you know, you weren't, you, you said you didn't really enjoy sports growing up, but in any ways has playing sports benefited you, benefited you in other parts of life outside of just competing and, and winning medals? Yeah, I mean, I think sports are a really interesting one because, again, I've got quite a fresh take on it because it's something that I've only started fairly recently. And, you know, I think a lot of these sportsmen that I, I meet and a lot of sportsmen who are at the top of their game, they've been doing it for years and years and years and years since they were kids. Whereas what's interesting about Paralympic sport is that a lot of people come into it due to injuries. They come into it a lot later in life. And I'm one of those people. I only started fencing about two and a half years ago now. So what I found really interesting is, you know, I've always been part of that school of thought that, you know, hard work pays off. You know, if you believe in it, you can do it. And it sounds quite somber to say, but actually sports really taught me that that isn't always the case. You know, sometimes you can give it 100%. Sometimes I can train for, you know, a year really, really hard every single day and not miss a single session and then fly halfway around the world to Brazil and go to the World Cup there and get knocked out in the first round. And, you know, it's not that I didn't want it any more than anyone else. It's not that I don't have the ability any more than anyone else but sometimes it's just not enough and I think it's so difficult sometimes when we're taught growing up as kids that you know if you want something enough you will get it it hard work pays off and sometimes it does and and you know I really hope for me it does you know I hope at some point that hard work does pay off but I'm it's also taught me a sort of it's taught me how to fail that's a huge thing for me it's really taught me how to fail I think I've never done something in my life so many you know whereby so many times I've done something and I've pushed hard at it and I've failed you know I studied architecture before I got into sport and if I got something wrong I'd I'd tweak it get it a bit better tweak it get it right whatever it might be 
and even at school you know you study for exam maybe you fail the first one you go back and revise and you do the second one it's but it, with sport it's crazy it's you know it's, you're dedicating yourself so so intensely to something that sometimes doesn't pay off which again is is part of the beauty of sport that when it does pay off it's it's, it's amazing but um i guess yeah it, it's been a really a massive roller coaster for me outside of the disability side of it as well as you know emotionally wow and and you know honestly what you talked about about uh, failing um you know honestly most people myself included and i'm sure you feel this way as well learn more through failing and through rough times it's more fun to succeed and more fun to get your way but i think you actually grow more through bad experiences and massively yeah and and i think you know also um you know i think being knowing how to fail is so important because some people are so afraid of failure that they don't push themselves to their limit and and I think because of that, some people never reach their potential in whatever they're doing. Right. And so I think in order to be successful, you have to be willing to fail. And if you're not willing to fail, you also won't be as successful. And um, it's amazing. All these things, I obviously can't relate to, to everything you've been through, but some of the specific things you've said, I can relate to so much. Like you talk about being willing to fail a, as a fencer. You know, for me personally, you know, I eventually decided that I wanted to go into broadcasting and the TV and radio business is so ridiculously competitive that the only way to succeed in this business is also have a high tolerance for failure and rejection. And I got rejected from, you know, so many different TV and radio jobs before I eventually got my first job. Mm. granted here i am now in the covid pandemic stuck at home recording podcasts on my laptop so the success story isn't as heartwarming as it would be if we were (laughs) ever actually in a tv studio interviewing right now but but like had i not been willing to fail so many times initially i wouldn't now be on television you know and i've gotten to do stuff you know on new england sports network and espn and I've only gotten there by being willing to fail and eat shit over and over again. So that's so relatable what you say about being willing to, to fail. And, you know, what's your, what type of mentality do you have? Let's say you're facing a fencer who has maybe more experience or more impressive credentials than you do. Yeah. You know, some people avoid, I've played sports with people in the back in the day who people who avoid going up against the top competition, What's your mentality when they say, hey, you have a chance to go up against someone who's a beast? So it's funny. Um, I had this situation actually a couple of months ago back when we in our last competition, it was in Hungary. And there's this one fencer, he's a French guy. His name's um, Damien Tokatlian. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a, you know, an old school guy. He's been in the game for a long, long time. Been to quite a few Paralympics. I think he's a Paralympic silver medalist in the team event. And he was one of the first people that I ever fenced. Um, and since then, the, um, methodically, in every single World Cup, I think pretty much, only skipping a few, I've had him more than any other fencer in the elimination rounds. And the elimination round is basically to get to the top 16, and then you get to the top eight, to the top four, and then to the top two, and then the final. 
And so this guy has knocked me out more than any other fencer in the round to go into the 16. And to get into the top 16 for me was a huge thing. I've been trying to do that for a long, long time to break the top 16. Um, And time after time, there was one in Kyoto. There was another one in um, Brazil. You know, there have been countless times that this guy has knocked me out. Um, I don't know why we keep getting drawn together. But again, I had him in Hungary this year and I've been training really, really hard. And I knew I had him again. And it, it's, it's, such a, it's such an interesting one because I think after a while, you get conditioned to almost, you know, he's better than me, he's going to beat me. Right. Um, and it, it's really difficult to break that cycle. And for me, I just focus on a couple of things. You know, I feel sometimes like a bit of an underdog because I'm coming into this fairly new. I, I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm not as good as these other people, but I'm going to give it 100%. Um, but again, that could be quite a, a useful mentality to have that underdog mentality, like, you know, I'm going to give it everything I've got nothing to lose. But also it can be quite a damaging um, thought process if you do feel sometimes, which I feel like, you know, I should I should lose this. You don't feel like you can win it. So for me, one thing that I always do is I focus on things that I can control. And I think it's something that a lot of athletes say, which is, you know, I focus that I have I'm, I'm on the piece, which is why we fence. I'm on. I'm there on time. I'm there with the correct kit. I'm there with my swords working. And I'm when I'm coming on guard. I'm going to make sure that this is my hand position. I know. I. 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 You know. I'm coming back to that. I'm not. I'm not coming like on guard, sloppy with a bad posture. I'm coming on guard how I want to. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to feel. You know the environment. What can I smell? What can I hear? What can I taste? What can I see? And then I'm focusing on this point. I'm not thinking about, oh, he's just scored five points on me. Oh, he scored scored a point last point. Oh, he hit me really hard last point. Oh, I won the last point. Completely irrelevant. I just focused on that point. I don't even look at the score sometimes. I, I think in this one was a great example. I didn't even look at it. And I, I, I think I came on guard again at the end. And the referee was like, oh, no, it's over now. And do you know what? This was the first time that I'd actually beaten him. Um, and I beat him. I got into the into the round of the top sixteen. And I remember sitting there. At, I think it was the score was about fourteen, uh, eleven to me. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm going to win this! This is amazing!" And I lost another point. It's fourteen twelve. And I was like, oh, one more point. I'm going to win this. Oh, I'm going to. I can't believe I'm going to actually win." And I actually took myself out of the zone. And so he got another point. It's fourteen thirteen. And then eventually, last one, I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to focus on this. It doesn't matter. To keep doing what I've been doing the whole time. Focus on things I can control. And I got the last hit, and it was amazing. It felt brilliant. And I was so, so happy. Um, but that was a really good example of, like you said, facing someone. And, and a, a, the, my situation, because I'm coming to this fairly new, I'm facing a lot of people who have a lot more experience, a lot more skill than me. And so the way I do it is, is what can I be better at? I can't play them at their own game and be better than, than them at their own game. But I can be a disruptor. I can be you know, unusual, uh, the way I train, you know, I do a lot of CrossFit to try and, you know, stay on top of my fitness in a different way to them. I try and do a lot of unusual training ways. I train with a weight vest. Sometimes I train extremely hard. I push myself in different ways, in unusual ways. Um, you know, it, I like to see myself as a bit of a, a disruptor, you know, coming in, shaking up the system, doing things in my way, forcing them to play my game. Well, that definitely makes sense. And that's, you know, an impressive mentality. And what's amazing in sports is how much of it is mental. Massively. You know, and and in the same way, like your mentality 
has helped make you successful. You know, there are sometimes athletes who, you know, have the physical talent, have the size, speed, whatever, and just don't produce. And a lot of yeah. a lot of it is psychological and they kind of beat themselves through, you know, these negative thought processes and it becomes a habit. And you and and it's just amazing whether it's fencing or, you know, American football, basketball, baseball, some of the sports that I watch here in the U.S., how, how mental it is. Um, also, yeah. But also, though, you mentioned, um, you know, doing CrossFit and different things. I'm curious also, you know, what is the um, training routine and lifestyle kind of like for a potential Paralympic fencer? So, yeah. So at the moment, uh, because of the COVID, uh, I'm training now at the High Performance Center in Bath, which is a kind of Paralympic center for our sport and they got a couple of other sports there as well um but essentially we're training from nine in the morning until about three four in the afternoon every day plus gym sessions after that running in the morning uh, usually a track session cardio before that um and then lessons you know fencing lessons and sparring throughout the day so it's pretty intense uh, at the moment i'm doing four days a week and then i'm doing another another day on, on friday is like a kind of fitness um prehab day for me uh, back at back at home at my gym or whatever the gym I use at home essentially um but prior to COVID it was a lot of lessons it was a lot of sparring um I, I would then attend different clubs to get the most out of the sparring that I could do in the evenings um and a lot of gym sessions in between that so it's, it's pretty um it's pretty much getting getting the training where I can get it but luckily recently I've actually been put on a program which is the world-class program uh, and, and funded by the government to train towards the Paralympics, which is great. So now it's a lot more structured. We have physios, um, we have psychologists, sports psychs, we have um, PTs and everything. So it's brilliant. Like there's a lot of support. It's brilliant. And and how has you know, in addition to you know your training, obviously that becomes something you're doing all the time, not just here and there. But but you know, has it changed your lifestyle in other ways? Like, do you ever get recognized out in public, or um, do you ever? you know, do you get, you know, media requests? Um, do you have less privacy, you know, outside of, you know, having to train all the time to perform at that level? How else has being, um, you know, on the national team changed your life? So I, I, it's an interesting one because actually our sport is quite small. Even within the UK, it's quite small. On the international circuit, I'm, I'm, I'm quite well known. Um, I, I've been recognized in public but actually not for fencing, but for what I mean, they know me because of a lot of fencing as well, but actually mainly because of my social media. Mm -hmm. So I do a lot of social media on Instagram um, and I track sort of my, my story, my training, uh, a little bit of lifestyle stuff toward, towards disability as well. And I document a lot of the, the successes, the failures, the training and the process of, you know, road to Tokyo. And, and this was essentially why I started sport in the first place was to document it through social medias, through YouTube and Instagram and show people, look, you know, maybe, you know, getting to the Paralympics or this, that goal, whatever it is, is unachievable for you. Maybe you won't do it. Maybe you will, but that's not for other people to tell you based on what they think they know about your disability. It's up for you to find out by trying and failing or trying and succeeding. So that was for me a huge thing. And, and so I, I've been recognized a couple of times for, uh, because of the the social media and the Instagram, but um, but in fact, I, to be honest as well, I, I I am a bit of a 
a recluse, if I'm honest with you. I, this lockdown thing is suiting me right down to the bone because I, I pretty much just go training, come back, go to a cafe where I'm a local, I just get coffees and stuff like that. And then I, I go home again, I make my content, and I, I work on whatever it is that I need to work on. Well, and, you know, it's interesting because it really seems as though, you know, a lot of your content, you know, on on Instagram, on YouTube, that's more aimed at inspiring people. You know, it, it doesn't sound like, you know, you want to be the next Kardashian and have a reality show and have people flocking to you. Um, you know, it sounds more like, I think, you know, the public, the, the content that you put out there in the public is more aimed at, at benefiting other people rather than, than benefiting yourself. And, and also, you know, you talk about not letting other people define you. Other people only define you with their opinions if you internalize it and believe it. And exactly. it really is it really is up to you to figure out who you want to be. Um, but, you know, also I was, um, in addition to asking about your fencing career, you know, you are, like we talked about, um, pretty outspoken as a disability advocate. And I, you've, I've seen a lot of your YouTube videos. You do some different public speaking events as well. Although obviously yeah. I'm sure during the pandemic, it's been more online and on YouTube than, you know, speaking in front of crowds. Um, but you know, how important has, um, has that been to you to, to be a disability advocate and use your platform as an athlete to, to speak out. And also, um, you know, for anyone listening, where can people find your content? Oh, yeah. Um, so my YouTube and my Instagram are essentially just my name, which is just Oliver Lamb Watson. Uh, the Lamb is spelled L-A-M. So it's Oliver L-A-M Watson. So it's pretty easy to find. Um, I think I'm a photo of me there with my fencing mask on. So you should be able to find me. Um, but yeah, I, so it's actually a really important thing for me. I think a lot of people, they see social media as a bit fun, a bit silly. For me, it's, 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 I see it as a business. I see it as my job. Um, I don't do it for fun, almost. I, I do it, I always say that if I wasn't doing what I'm trying to do, I, I probably wouldn't have an Instagram or a YouTube, uh, or definitely not a YouTube, but probably not an Instagram either. Even. I, I see it as, as a job, as work. You know, I, the reason I see it is that because I remember growing up as a kid with a disability, feeling very different and not having anyone to look up to not having anyone to tell me that it, being different was okay. Not, you know, we're never taught growing up, how to grow up with a disability. And I think you remember when you were a kid growing up, being different can be difficult, even just at the best of times. And that doesn't even include, you know, not being able to walk, not being able to run, not missing parties for doctor's appointments and having to wear casts on your leg for years at a time. And you know, yes, you have these you athletes. Uh, I remember seeing Paralympics and stuff like that. But there's a huge gap between the Paralympians on the TV and you there as a kid growing up. There's a complete gap. And what I wanted to do is fill that gap and and be the kind of creator, be the the, the influencer for the younger me, for, for young disabled people who think, oh, maybe I'll never be a photographer because I'm on crutches and I can't hold a camera. Well. If you get a massive camera strap, you can. You know, if you want a skateboard, I can't because I've got a I've got one leg. Well, if you buy a penny board and you work with your sense of balance, you can. And for me, it's about showing people that because so many times, no matter how many times they tell someone, I can run up this, I can, 
you know, go to the gym on crutches. I can do whatever it needs. I need to do on crutches. They still think, oh, well, you can't, you know, you're just saying that, you know, you, you have a disability. Actually showing them is, is what really changes their perspective. So that's what I try and do with my Instagram, my YouTube is show people actually, you know, that their perceptions and their false assumptions of my disability are wrong. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's important also for young people to know that they're not alone, you know, and if young people are having, um, you know, on crutches or in a wheelchair and going through some of the same things you went through at that age, um, it's important for them to know that they're not alone. And, you know, as an athlete, you're someone they may look up to. So it may be even more powerful um, for them to hear that message from you rather than someone else. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I personally can't relate to, um, you know, obviously what, what you described as, as far as being on crutches and when you had to decide whether or not to amputate your leg, although, you know, for me personally, I've also tried to be um, open about things I've struggled with because as a, you know, Z-list celebrity who, you know, gets recognized by one out of every 200 people I see, um, maybe some people even look up to me. I mean, that's a horrifying concept to, to think about. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but like, you know, for example, you know, I've had, I was born with ADD. And, you know, as an adult, I've gotten better at, at dealing with it um, through taking medication. But, you know, as a child, I couldn't sit still in class. I couldn't focus. You know, when we took tests, I had to go in the extended time room. Um, and that was something that was, quite frankly, humiliating. You know, I'll never forget I had a teacher who wouldn't call on me when I raised my hand to answer questions. But if I didn't know the answer, she would call on me when I didn't raise my hand to embarrass me in front of other kids. And... I mean, it sucked and, you know, and, but I've been open about that because like when I was that age, you know, the, my, my personal disability with attention deficit disorder affected my self-confidence and um, my personality. And I was a very shy, um, you know, very shy, reserved, underconfident kid. And I've mm. developed a level of confidence as an adult that I didn't have at a younger age. And I don't think anyone who knew me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old could have imagined that I'd go on to be a television host. But that's why I want to be open about that. And I've, I've also, you know, been open about, um, you know, how I take medication for anxiety. And I've gone through a lot of therapy because I want people who need to get that type of help to get it and not feel like there's something wrong with them for, for needing professional help. And, and exactly. so while I can't relate to these specific things that you've been through, it's definitely relatable when you talk about using your platform and being open about what you've been through so that other people going through similar things don't feel alone. And I think too many celebrities are overly brand conscious mm. and want to act perfect and just want to be robots and they miss out on such an amazing opportunity to impact other people's lives. So I'm glad. Exactly. That, yeah. I'm glad that you're using your platform to, um, you know, like I said, help people rather than just having a personal appreciation party and wearing all your, your medals, 
You know, I mean, do you ever, yeah. if you're going to go to a club and talk to girls, do you ever like wear your bronze medals and silver, silver, silver medals around your neck? And you're like, Oh, like, wear all, of, all of the bling. Exactly. <laughs> Going with a fencing mask as well. Exactly. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but no, you definitely seem like a humble guy. That doesn't, I don't, you don't seem like the type of person who does that. Uh, no, so it was only one time. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> it's like the, the, the line in uh, Anchorman, which says, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. That's yeah. not, that's not your style. That's not me yet. Hopefully uh, one day I can, uh, you know, work towards some success. Um, but at the moment, you know, I, I think for me, it's really interesting because I think people's perceptions of me from the outside are maybe different to what I, I experience. And, you know, a lot of people message me on my Instagram saying, you know, I get a lot of messages from people who have disabilities or people who have kids who have disabilities and saying, you know, Oh, whatever it might be. Um, my daughter has, same thing as you and she thought she could never walk and run and now she wants to try sport or I was in an accident and you know I never thought I could get into the gym again and and seeing your Instagram is great uh, and I reply to you know I, I try and get back to every single message um, if, I feel like if people take the time to message me I always take the time to message back and people often like, oh my god I can't believe you messaged back this is amazing and I'm like oh come on like you know I, I don't for me you know I'm just a, I'm just a person like you guys and like like everyone else and you know, you and me sat here, we, we, we were just kids uh, uh, at the same school a few years ago, you know, and now we're talking and it doesn't, you know, whatever we do and whatever we've done in the meantime doesn't make us any different. You know, we're, we're all just people at the end of the day. And I think sometimes with people, like you said, with these sort of social media, they get a bit like wrapped up in themselves. Um, and I think it's not healthy in a way. Um, the problem with yeah. social media, like you said, is you only see what people want you to see and you never see the failure. And it gives really unrealistic expectation standards. Um, and that's why, for example, I always try and show when, I, when I'm in the gym and I, and I drop a weight. I'm in the gym and I, I try and do a box jump and I fall off because it's so easy to see people and influencers and athletes who are just always showing their PB, you know, always showing their best reps. And it's like, God, this guy never drops anything. This guy's a beast. Like, why am I, you know, dropping weights? Why do I struggle? And it's like, no, we all struggle. I, I don't buy into this mentality of, you know, I wake up brushing my teeth motivated and feel amazing all the time and crush every gym session. It's like, no, we all struggle. <laughs> and that's, that's authentic, especially in today's world, you know, with social media, there are so many people, like for example, people I went to high school with kids I went to college with, I don't see them anymore in person, but we still follow each other on social media or, or you know, people who I haven't even met who follow me on social media. And there's so many people who only see me through social media. And in today's world, you can literally make your life look exactly how you want it to look. And you can yeah. be a train wreck, but make it look yeah. like you have it together on social media. And as a celebrity, you could have a public image that's very, very, very different from how you are. Um, and I think for public figures, that's there's always been a level of fakeness with a lot of them. But in today's yeah. world of social media, like you said, you know, on social media, you only really share your highlights. And so for other people who are insecure, maybe compare themselves to other people when they see you killing it on social media and they don't actually see the day-to-day -day grind that does give them an unrealistic um, expectation. Massively. And, and how, how important has it been for you personally to not only be real, but also not change? as you've gotten more well-known? For me, I just, I try and treat it 
as I've always treated it, which is just being myself um, and having a bit of a silly personality and uploading silly jokes that probably only me and three or four other people would get. But for me, something that's really important is that I always try and make an effort whenever I'm feeling like shit after a session or whatever it is that I have them fairly recently. I had, I had a week, a couple of weeks back. I just had the worst week ever. I just training didn't make sense. I wanted to quit and it sucked. And I, I made sure that I picked up and it's horrible. It's the last thing you want to do when you're, you're feeling like crap is pick up a phone and talk to people and share that. And it's very invasive, but I wanted to, you know, say to people, Hey, look, I've had a shit week. And it's funny because only a week before that, a couple of days before that, I was giving someone advice who said, how do you not get frustrated and upset when you lose? And I gave him all this advice and I said, you know, re reflectively, I, I, I should take my own advice. Um, and, you know, I do it because I love it, not because I want to win and do all this stuff. I, I do it because I love it. It's something I want to do. And, and, and it can be so hard to follow your own advice sometimes. And I think partly, actually, it's an interesting one because my social media is almost like a diary. It's almost very therapeutic for me. Uh, mm. I, I write things that, not because I'm trying to motivate other people and tell people to wake and, you know, hustle it out from the, you know, every morning and, you know, that if you fail, sometimes it's okay. I'm trying to tell myself that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm writing it out to other people, but actually what I'm telling it is my telling, is my, I'm speaking to myself. Well, and sometimes you have, you know, a, a different perspective when you're walking someone else through an experience than you would just going through it yourself. Yeah, um, massively. It, it's kind of like, you know, I don't have any children at this point in my life, as far as I'm aware. But, uh, <laughs> but, but like, that some I know. people who, who have kids, they talk about, like, they'll see their kid behaving a certain way that's, you know, problematic. And they'll talk through why they shouldn't behave that way. And then they'll say, oh, my goodness, I do that sometimes. Now I know why I shouldn't do that. And, you know, coaching people through different things, it, it actually helps you understand it better. You know, or, or uh, athletes who, for example, when I used to play baseball, I had college baseball players who'd give me hitting lessons and they'd work on my swing. And then they say, oh, my goodness, I have a better understanding of a, a swing through through mm. coaching you than I would just playing myself. Um, so that's that's yeah, definitely yeah. interesting about how it's it's therapeutic for you. I mean. I don't know. I'm guessing. So there's a guy in the U.S. named Steve Weatherford. He's a former NFL American football player. I'm guessing he's not particularly popular in England. I have you. I have you heard not of him? someone that I know of. Maybe yeah. my friends know of him because they follow a bit more. Uh, well, so he's football. not even that. Like he played in the NFL. He wasn't like a big time star. He was the punter, which is literally the guy in American football who kicks the ball to the other team when his team can't score. So he wasn't a star, but he's gotten more famous as a motivational speaker and social media influencer. And one of the things I like the most about him is how open and honest he is about his struggles, which is very similar to what you talked about. Mm. For example, you know, he's a very fit, muscular, professional athlete, but he'll post videos sometimes of him mid-workout and he'll say, you know, I'm feeling sick. I almost didn't come to the gym this morning. I have 10 sets left in my workout. And I feel like I can't even do two more. And he'll show that incredibly human side. But for, you know, such a fit, muscular, professional athlete, he could just post pictures of him flexing and, and not show that side of it. Mm. And I think, I think it's so important to show that side. Yeah. And showing that side and showing the struggle and showing the human side makes things seem more attainable to other people because they might think that because you're, you know, 
on the national team that you never struggle through workouts, that you're always motivated, that things always go your way, that you never lose. And showing mm. that side, I think, can really inspire people. Um, I hope it makes it a bit more relatable. Yeah. Whether you want to be a big shot Paralympian or record internet podcasts in your uh, apartment by yourself. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, to look at the two of us role models, role models. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, um, but no, but also, um, you know, here in the U S in 2020, we've been hit hard, um, by, by COVID and, um, you know, obviously it's been a problem worldwide, but what's it been like? I'm just curious in England, what's it been like, um, dealing with the pandemic? I, I know you said that you have not been socializing as much and that you had to if I remember correctly, you had to change uh, the location that you were training at. Um, yeah. How how has the pandemic affected you in England? So it's pretty bad here as well, actually, to be honest. Um, and it's getting a little bit worse at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we've basically been in and out of lockdown since uh, early early March, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, over the first lockdown, it's quite difficult for everyone. I think everyone was kind of a bit of a shock to the system especially for us training we didn't actually do any training for about two months um after that i think everyone has kind of gotten a bit more used to it and, and life you know at home um and i think yeah it can be massively different because you know your, your schedule's massively changed you have to you know spend a lot of time in in within four walls and i think uh, especially for athletes when you're usually so active um it can be a massive shock to the system uh, personally I was really fortunate, you know, I live about a five minute drive from um, a, a park. So I just, I, I was running around there every single day. I was then doing a lot of home workouts. I had a weight vest and I was just sort of a, a yoga mat. I was just going kind of crazy every day. Um, I was, I actually really enjoyed it. You know, I, I started to, to learn new skills like making coffee and out of mocha pots and all these interesting Italian ways of making coffees and cooking a little bit more and and for me you know I, I painted a self-portrait I was just trying to do a lot of interesting things that I, I never had time to previously do and I, I got a bit more on top of my my YouTube so yeah training has been has been a bit of a, a different one training from home but now as you know the Paralympics comes closer and we're, we've got um, a, a training like area a bubble in, in Bath which is another city in the UK and um, and so I'm now as a as an elite athlete, I have um, a special dis dispensation to go and train. So currently we are still training. Um, but we've just finished for Christmas. So but yeah, even though there's a lockdown, we would still be training. Okay, and and so also, um, you know, and I'm glad that you've still been able to train, even though things have obviously been different. I'm sure it's been a challenge, um, but but also, you know, the Paralympics, like you said, 2021 in uh in tokyo um what does your timeline look like leading up to that do you have any other competitions that you're doing before the paralympics or are you strictly training and your next competition will be during the paralympics so we we had a lot uh of competitions scheduled um we actually had one in brazil supposed to be in march but that's now been um postponed mm -hmm. to potentially may we're also meant to be having another competition in May, uh, which is going to be the Europeans. So not sure how that's going to work out. That's going to be in Hungary, apparently. So see how that goes. But I think, um, you know, we're training as though we have those two competitions and then the Paralympics um, in, in, in early, uh, late August. 
But at the same time, we're also acknowledging the fact that potentially we might not have any competitions between now and the Paralympics. So it's for us, it's how we get that intensity and competition practice and then taper off and, you know, those peaks and troughs. Right. Well, and how do you stay focused when your schedule, is it harder to stay focused on your training when you have that maybe anxiety about things getting postponed or canceled or do you just, when you're training, are you just kind of tunnel vision, do the workout, don't think about anything else? At at the moment, we're sort of all just focusing on, like I said, the things that we control and that's, you know, we go, we're we're training as if it's going ahead. Mm -hmm. We'd rather get there in great, get there and it happen and be in like great, like, you know, physical form um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, well-trained um, and be ready for it rather than train as though it's not happening and then it happens and we go there and we get uh, spanked. Right, right. That's been a thing here in the U.S. is that some athletes in various pro sports in the U.S. have really, really underperformed this year. Guys who are normally top athletes. Um, you know, there's this uh, – I live just outside of Boston um, in Worcester, Massachusetts, and – there was a Boston Red Sox player named J.D. Martinez who is normally one of their best hitters, but last season he hit really badly. And people are speculating that maybe, you know, when there was the delay in the start of the Major League Baseball season, he had all that downtime, and people are speculating that maybe there wouldn't be a season at all. People are speculating that maybe he just stopped training. You know, he owns a couple boats. Maybe he was just out fishing the whole time. Yeah, and maybe. Yeah. So like you said, when it's unclear when you're going to compete next, if you don't train, then your competitions come up out of nowhere and you get your ass handed to you. So that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it sounds like you've been grinding hard. Um, I've seen some of your videos on social media. Your, your workouts look pretty intense. Yeah. Trying to honestly, trying to stay on top of things. I, I, I upload them to social media. I want, I want my competition to see, I, yeah. I want them to see that I'm training through lockdown i'm running i'm training hard i'm not letting off and um it's funny i always do given that it's you know the season i always do uh, for the last few years i think it's about five years six year tradition now for me is that i always make sure that i train on christmas um and it's a funny one because i i know you know some people do go for runs on christmas and when i go for when i how does santa claus feel about that yeah he's okay I, 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 i did manage to get special dispensation from him um, as long as I leave the milk and the cookie there, then. Fair um, enough. But I, I always make sure that I train on Christmas because it, it, uh, there was a quote that I heard a couple of years ago. It said, you know, it's one day that you can guarantee that your competition won't be training. Every other day, you, they might be training. They could be training just as hard as you. But it's one day you can pr- pretty much guarantee that they're not going to be training. So it's one day of the year that you can get a one up on them. So every ever since then, I've always made sure that I that I go and I train on Christmas day. Um, and yeah, for me, it's become a bit of a tradition, but it, it also, it just shows, you know, having that mentality of, you know, no days off. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to, this, this is, you know, I'm, I'm striving towards something that I love and yeah, I, I have the rest of my life to, to go fishing and, and play Xbox and uh, do all those things. But for now it's, you know, I've got a goal and I'm, I'm, I'm pushing towards it pretty hard and I want everyone, I want the competition to know that. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely. Well, and and like you said, though, also not only do you want to train when your competition is not training, but you also post your training videos on social media. And you you said you want your competition to know that you're training when they aren't. 
So yeah. In addition to, you know, different ways you can get in your competition's head. I, I don't know the culture in fencing particularly well. Um, I did my claim to fame. I did host an award ceremony for fencing on ESPN once, but I just yes, acted like I knew what I was talking about. I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, but I don't know the fencing culture, but since you want to get in your competition's head or do you ever talk trash? So on the piste uh, and at competitions, you know, and, you know, we all know each other. It's a very small circle and we're all very respectful, you know, even fencing, it's got a lot of old traditions and there's a lot of, um, you know, respect for one another. You know, you mm-hmm. salute the ref, you salute your opponent, you shake hands afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you don't, you know, it's punishable by a yellow card. Mm. Um, and so we all respect each other. And there's always that line that we, you know, we always treat each other with that level of um, of, of respect. Um, however, I think what I'm trying to bring into this, being a bit of a new guy, being a bit, you know, um, having a bit of a reputation is you know, being a little bit more fun, being a bit more playful, you know, giving my opponents a little bit of chat every now and again and, you know, um, trying to get in their heads a little bit uh, in mm. and out of, of the piece. So social media is one way I do that. But so, you know, you said you like to chat a little bit, get in people's heads. If if we were going to fence, talk some, talk some shit to me, you know. If, <laughs> what, you know what if I got in your face first? I was like, hey, man, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, slice you up what would you say back to me right <laughs> i'd be like you gotta you gotta catch me first you know huh. big talk but you know let's see if you can walk the walk huh yeah but okay but that sounds though i mean that's 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 trash talk but that doesn't sound i've heard worse i've i yeah, heard some people course. say very bad things while they're playing sports for me it's uh you know it's always especially on piste it's about having respect for your opponent. Mm-hmm. I always, you know, even if I lose, I always, I always liked, you know, I, I may be annoyed at myself, but I would have done the same thing to them, you know? So I always like to hold and give my, my opponents a certain level of, level of respect. Um, I think there is a little bit of a sort of, uh, you know, there, there are fun mind games you can play uh, with opponents, but for me, I, I, I stray away from this. I, I, I like to sort of, to be able to, to to maintain a sort of like classy, uh, you know, respectful attitude towards my opponents. Occasionally, I get in a little bit of the chats here and there, especially on social media. If um, if you know that one of you know I'm uh, I'm using a weight vest or something like that, and one of my opponents will say, "Oh, you know, the weight vest is really cool. Do you use it often?" I'll say, "Yeah, you know, I can I can lend you a baby one if you want." Uh, you know, something like that. Um, but you know, just just here and there, just you know to kind of uh, keep them on their toes right right but i mean it sounds like you know it it, it sounds like there's nothing too crazy you know you're not going to be like hey i'm gonna gut you like a fish motherfucker you don't say anything like that uh no not 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 especially with an earshot of the ref because uh even if you swear uh you can get a yellow card for Hmm. it so yeah there's a lot of uh a lot of um, red tape around that i think you could give some some pointers to some of the professional athletes here in the united states there are some some serious, serious hotheads. Um, and people, people say some, some pretty, uh, some pretty bad things in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could give, you know, a, you do seminars on, um, you know, disability awareness. Maybe you could also do some seminars on sportsmanship. Um, yeah. Do you know what? I always find that for me, a lot of people say, you know, you want to get angry, you want to get crazy. Mm-hmm. For me, that, that, that's when I'm out of control. For me, especially with fencing, because you need to think, you need to, you know, have tactics, you need to 
to also then do the fine technique and you need to have the, the right timing uh, and the power, like all of those things need to be balanced. And so for me going into it, if, if I've, if they've made me lose my cool and they've, they, they've got the one up on me, for me being calm, being chilled, if I know that they like to scream, like to shout, I'm not going to scream the hit. If I get a hit, I get the next one easy. You know what I mean? If they're a bit nervous, I'll scream the hit. I'll get a hit and I'll, I'll, I'll shout. I'll go crazy to psych them out. So a lot of the mind games like that, they're a lot more subtle. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I guess like you said, it's kind of a harnessed aggression where you're a competitor, but you're under control the entire time. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I wish I'd had you to give me some pointers. I actually, after I moved back from, from England, um, I got suspended by my coach from youth baseball. Funny thing was though, the, the coach was my dad and he continued to go to youth baseball without me and coach the team. And people would be like, oh, which kid on the team is yours? He's like, I actually show up alone. I kick my own kid off my team because that's how much of a hothead I was. I've matured a little bit since then. This is when I was, I don't know, nine, ten years old. Um, but maybe you could have given me some pointers on on staying a little bit under control. Um, <laughs> but but anyway, um, you know, I know you have a lot going on, so I won't take too much more of your time. But I guess, um, like you said, you know, it's unclear when you'll compete next. Um, but what are your, you know, your plans next couple of weeks as far as training and other things you're doing? So next couple of weeks. So uh, we had a very intense training week uh, just finished. So I, I've taken a couple of days off and now I'm going to get back to it as of tomorrow. So it's going to be a warming back up to it. Training over Christmas again. Um, we're back officially training on the 20 on, so on the uh, on the 4th uh, of January. So um, working my way back up to then so I can hit the ground running uh, in the new year. I'm just kind of crush it from then on that's that's awesome and you know i really appreciate you coming on my podcast but i also i would encourage um you know my my listeners and viewers to also keep up with some of your content it's more interesting than my show anyway but um what are where can people find you what are your social media handles and where can people find uh what is your youtube channel called so yeah my youtube again is just it's just my my name so it's oliver l-a-m lamb watson w-a-t-s-o-m so my instagram is the same oliver lamb watson so all the same uh you can find me pretty easily all just one word um and yeah no i appreciate that thank you so much for having me as well it's, it's honestly it's been a, it's been amazing blast from the past see you again yes I always, like for me you're always one of the people that i always remembered we always good friends and and your accent always stuck in my mind it was brilliant <laughs> i was the one american kid at that school every yeah. time I spoke, people asked if I was American. Like I'd meet someone for the first time. I'd be like, hello, are you American? <laughs> I, I had a thick, thick American accent. It's weird also. Cause like, like I've, I've moved around a lot. You know, like I said, my father used to travel overseas when I was a kid, Japan, England, yeah. various places. And then I've also lived in different parts of the U S. So a lot of people, they tell me we can't place your voice. Like yeah. you have your own personal accent, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it's also when you have the first name Leverett, like I'll see someone who I knew when I was like 12 years old and they'll be like, I don't recognize you, but I remember the kid with the strange name. So <laughs> yeah, I always remembered your name, Leverett Bull. Yeah, exactly. exactly. But, um, but yeah, no, Oliver, um, thanks again for, uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, like, like we, we just said, um, everyone, please check out his social media content, his YouTube content. Also, if I haven't given everyone too much of a headache, um, please subscribe to the Leverett Ball Show. It is available on 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at uh, Leverett Ball Official. Um, so once again, that is Oliver Lamb Watson. I'm Leverett Ball. Thanks for watching the Leverett Ball Show. Have a great evening. Thanks, guys. All right.